0: Hello,
1: everybody. Uh, the okay. mute. Uh, the mute. mute.
0: All right. Okay. We're having a Nancy we're having mute it. problems today.
1: You just did it You're right. It's a mute point. <laughs> <laughs> it's All a right. mute point. This day All seemed right. to start
0: out that way, so I'm good with it. Yeah. <laughs> here we go. Welcome
1: to Radio Five G. This is Michael Henry Dunn here with the one and only Nancy L. Hopkins. Does Does the L stand for Louise?
0: Oh, please, no. <laughs> Okay, Lynn, I can Lynn, you, huh? Lynn. Nancy Lynn, oh, Lynn. yes. And oh, that's a good. It, name. Let me tell you a little story about that because this is very interesting. Um, quickly, okay, Lynn, L Y N N was the way I always spelt it because that was my grandfather's name. That's the way he spelt it. Well, when I got in the military, um, I had to go down to some place and. And fill out the, this form, and my mother and father had to also that we were not trying to defraud the government by having my birth certificate say LYN instead of the names that the name I had been using. And it wasn't Default. yeah. It wasn't until you know decades later I realized that's because that birth certificate was a legal document. And right, y- yeah. You know, and I and I I was mean, I, I, I was not part of the chattel that the government was un, in control because my bond wasn't right. <laughs> so but anyway. Yeah.
1: Right. say we're we're aiming to make a uh, a thing of you, a, a a stock you're going to be a a tradable thing. So we need you to to be clear with us so we can go ahead and make you a
0: I had no a, idea I was defrauding the government.
1: <laughs> yeah. Wow.
0: Anyway, this cool. uh, tape we're going to do is an hour. I thought it was shorter, but it is an hour, and I think you're going to really enjoy it. Well, okay. as much as you can, you... as much as you can enjoy the subject matter. It's on transhumanism <laughs> and um, the COVID. Now we have Dr. Carey. We have we have had her on a couple of weeks ago, and Dr. Tenpenny we've also had on, but they met and it was just such a really nice conversation that the two of them had that i think is is extremely informative but also inspiring so
1: okay hey yeah as long as we can be bleak and inspiring at the same time we try we do this every week i don't
0: know how we pull it off
1: (laughs) we're amazing that's how
0: (laughs) (laughs) anyway so you want to just go for it we'll go right let's go for it
1: let's go And, and yeah, and we'll see you folks in an hour.
0: This is a bitshoot.com video, and the title of it is Vaccines, COVID-19, and Transhumanism. Dr. Sherry Tenpenny and Dr. Carrie Madage. It's the studio Bliss, World Orders Review, in parentheses. Tangentopolis. interesting word. Okay, here we go.
2: Good morning,
3: Dr. Carey. (laughs) Good morning, Dr. Chenpeni. <laughs>
2: so, Excited to begin. <laughs> yeah, really. This is really great. Hey, tell, tell everybody a little bit about you, who you are, where you're from. Uh huh. You know, okay. I and mean, you're kind of like you know blasted new onto the scene here with yeah, all of this stuff. You know, it must feel kind of weird to go from relative obscurity to mainstream popularity <laughs> in like two um, uh, weeks. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm um, originally from
3: Michigan, and um, I went to uh, my undergrad there, Central Michigan, and then I went to uh, Kansas City University College of Biological uh, Sciences. It's an osteopathic college, um, and I graduated there from 2000 and 2001, and then I did training in Detroit and Florida and Georgia, and I ended up doing my traditional internship at Columbus, um, Georgia and my internal medicine residency at Macon, Georgia. Uh, those, the traditional internship was osteopathic and the traditional was allopathic. And I ended up staying there and I uh, um, ended up uh, being private clinician and medical director of two different clinics. I owned my last two clinics. Uh, the last one um, was uh, pretty large. We had uh, 20 employees and uh, employed other physicians and nurse practitioner and I was very vocal at that time. Um, up to the 2015, I, I was very vocal about vaccines, the danger of them. And I was a patient advocate. And because I was being very vocal and we were accepting insurances at the time, I had hospital affiliations, I was getting a lot of, as you can imagine, negative feedback, you know, saying, hey, you can't be saying those things. And I would produce research and, and show them studies and show them what I was saying was accurate. Um, and I also said, I'm doing informed consent with my patients. So I'm showing them the insert of the flu vaccine, let's say, or the MMR. And I'm showing them what's in there and the ingredients. And they're making their own decision. They're getting informed consent. And they told me, don't show them the insert. Don't show them that. And I said, well, I'm not going to be a bad. I'm just giving you just one second. I'm not going to be a bad doctor, you know. Also, there's um, a uh, lot of different strange um, infectious diseases in the area there. And there was a lot of mycoplasma pneumonia and and tick illnesses. And uh, we were documenting a lot of that by lab. And uh, that got the attention of the CDC and the public health department. So I was not just running the clinic, being medical director. I was, you know, going up against government entities, hospitals, universities in the area uh, among other things. It's just a little bit of a nutshell. So I've always been a patient advocate. I've always been there about on the side of sound science and research. And I stand by what I say 100%. At the end of uh, 2015, I was exhausted, <laughs> mentally and physically of trying to do all these things. And I also came to the point I was the last private physician in a very large square mile area. And I the I was either going to, have to sell out and become just part of the regular institution. And I just could not do that. I thought about that a long time. I could not ethically do that. So either I do that or or what else? So I had patients from other countries. One of them was Dominican Republic. I had visited here many times. I said, you know, I took them up on the offer. I, I went to Dominican Republic and I just put a very laid back lifestyle, some telemedicine, charity work, you know, still doing some concierge once in a while in Georgia. And I took a five-year break, really. I didn't say much. I was quiet. And then when this pandemic came about, I, it lit a fire in me again. And I had an epiphany one night. And I said, that's it. I have to, I have to share what I know. You know, I went to some meetings that really changed my life. And, and I know about the plan of what's going on. And I said, I, I need to start talking about these vaccines again. You know, I have the knowledge I have the background in it. It's time to not be silent anymore. And because I don't have the ties with government entities anymore, I don't have the ties with hospitals, um, I don't have the ties with insurance companies, I have the freedom more than other physicians to speak up. So I feel it's my duty to educate. So that's that's how I kind of pop back out of the scene again. Um, that's my, my story. Wow. <clears throat>
2: that's amazing. <clears throat> so are you still living in Dominican now?
3: Primarily, most of the time, yes, um, and I still go back and forth to the U.S. occasionally. Not as much, obviously, this year,
2: yeah. for obvious yeah. reasons, yeah. but yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. how nice is that? You know, yeah. I have some friends, some really good friends here that that left, um, let me see, what month is this? <laughs> you know, it's like one day just sort of runs into the next, right? <laughs> it, it
3: matters anymore, right? I yeah. know. So, so. in the
2: July, they were actually going down there, they have been talking to a lot of people, And they were actually going to Dominican to look at buying property and moving down there. Yeah. Yeah. Living off the land, you know, I
3: was also an attending physician for the Pennsylvania college of osteopathic medicine, the Georgia campus there. So I really enjoyed the students I had there being a preceptor for them. Um, But uh, I also got flack from that. uh, Unfortunately, you know, there was some allopathic, um, uh, people that infiltrated, I'll say that that institution, and then they were not happy with me teaching about the vaccines and and teaching the truth about them. There's there's a lot that happened, yeah. Um, but you know, I love my I love our profession, osteopathic medicine. I think what we were taught was is amazing, and I stand by that a hundred percent.
2: Are you a are you a ten finger osteopath? Do you? Do- <laughs> I do. I'm mostly cranial. I'm oh, more of awesome. a cranial. Yeah. Uh-huh. Person. So um that was more, of, it's more of my specialty. Yeah. That's really <laughs> cool. Yeah. Cause um, you know, for those that are listening to this, you know, that's sort of like osteopath speak, you know, to kind of, when we talk to each mm-hmm. other, the 10 finger osteopath, cause you know, being a, an osteopathic physician, you get all the training of an MD, like Terry went through an MD um, allopathic internal medicine, right? You did internal medicine, internal medicine. The rest was osteopathic. osteopathic. Yeah, internal medicine residency. So we get all the training of an MD. So we can be an internist. Like I was board certified and director of an ER mm-hmm. for 12 years. You can be a neurosurgeon, an obstetrician, a, a, an oncologist. You could be anything that you inserts as a subspecialty. But when we go to school, we also get trained in structural medicine, yeah. and osteopathic medicine has it has tenets, like uh, silly little things that wouldn't mean much to lay public, but like the rule of the artery is supreme and structure-function yeah. relationships. Oh. But we doesn't that sound good when you talk about it? it really you know, I, it actually has helped <laughs> me more
3: and more as time goes on. I realize now how important it is more than when I was learning it.
2: It's amazing. Yeah. So we have, so we, so we get trained at like, and the best way I explain it to people, it's like, we're like being an MD and a chiropractor. We can do all the things that, that an MD can do. We can do all the things that a chiropractor can do, but osteopathic techniques are much more subtle. They're deeper. The chiropractors tend to have. Pretty much one tool in their toolbox, which we call mm-hmm. high velocity, which is the rack yeah. pack stuff. We also get yeah. trained in a lot of other types of more gentle, subtle techniques with yes. fascia and myofascial release. And I do a ton of cranial. I see tons of babies. You okay. know, this, we created, great. Yeah, yeah. We've done this and, you know, we've created this entire industry of this back to sleep stuff and smacked heads. And we've created an entire industry of helmets. And I probably see. I don't know. I probably treat four or five babies a day in my practice, you know, and that parent, the parents come in and choose when they're teeny tiny babies. In fact, for those of you that want to know a little bit more about what she's, what she and I are speaking about with cranial and that we offer a course through vaccine U. It's vaccine the letter com. When you get there, if you go up the top, you click on catalog and you scroll down, you'll see a course. It's called crooked heads. And it's a, it's a course that I put together because I train parents, you know, when parents come in, we have a board certified pediatrician in our practice. Dr. Janet Levitin works in our practice and she sees, she doesn't, we don't vaccinate and she's never vaccinated in her practice. So all the these babies come in with smashed heads, you know, from laying on their back all the time, this horrible whole back to sleep, sleep, this back to sleep thing that started in the nineties. And so I put together this whole, it's about a 45 minute course explaining to parents why sleeping on their back doesn't prevent SIDS. It's about the vaccines, you know, when they're, they've they got that weight of their head on these tiny little back uh, uh, heads, um, how they smash them, and you get this thing called plagiocephaly, which is flatness, and how cranial manipulation really works. And so so for those of you that have an issue with your child having a smacked, smashed back head, it looks like somebody took a frying pan to the back of their head, and you want to learn what it's about and what to do about it, you can go to Vaccine U, click on catalog, scroll down to crooked heads. Wonderful. I think it's $39 for the course. You have lifetime access. There's videos, there's documents, there's all kinds of things that you can get there. But that's what she and I are talking about. When we talk about cranial because yeah. that's what we do is we I'm fix amazing. these heads and you can, and there's 22 bones in the head. They all move. You can treat adults that have had head injuries and traumas and concussions and all of that. So it's just a, such a oh it just makes my heart just leap to talk to a fellow osteopath. <laughs> yes, me too. You know, it's a, it's a it's not
3: easy to find someone who still practices that way now. Yeah, I know. Yeah, and wonderful. like, you, and what a like treat. you
2: I know, and like you, you know, I've had I I went through a similar thing where there was a period of time where I was, you know, I I moved to Cleveland. I left the emergency department. My last ER shift was um, January of 98. So I'm a lot older than you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> my last ER shift was in 98. I moved to Cleveland in 96 and set up my practice. And around 2000, right mm-hmm. after maybe 9-11, I gave a, you know, I, like you, I'm one of the last independent practitioners around here. Okay. I and mean, I got the Cleveland Clinic and University Hospital and the metro system, all of that sucked all the people yeah. into that. And I gave some thought at one point in time about, um, you know, joining the clinic or maybe UH. And then I talked to a lot of my fellow physicians. There's a lot of DOs here. Because there's an osteopathic school here in Ohio. So there's a lot of DOs in Ohio. And they all said, oh, Sherry, last worst case scenario, don't do it unless there's no other options. Well, we have, you know, I have another physician. I have uh, three nurse practitioners that work for me. We've got a staff of 12. And we've always been able to do pretty well. In fact, right now we're busier than ever because patients that come and see us, they don't, I refuse to wear a mask to see a patient. I won't do it. I'm okay. I mean, if they want me to social distance mm-hmm. and sit six feet apart, I can do that. But if yeah. a patient insists that they want to see a doctor that wears a mask, well, then they can see one of the other people in the practice because they're less. Militant about it, I guess, is yeah. what I am. But we, but because we've been in, I've been an independent practitioner all these years. I've been able to speak out as loudly and as bigly exactly. at, over the last twenty years and forty thousand hours worth of research time. Mm-hmm. And I use this example sometimes, Carrie. When I say, you know, it's sort of like if you were working at Dunkin' Donuts and every patient that came through, or every. Uh, 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 a patron that came through and bought donuts, you said to them, you know that donut's going to make you fat and those trans fats are really bad for you and all that sugar, you really shouldn't eat them. You wouldn't be very long that you would still be employed by Dunkin' Donuts. (laughs) That's true. So so when you and I are working in a big system that's pro-vaccine and and uses propaganda in place of science Mm. and they call propaganda science, when we start saying vaccines are not safe, they're not effective, they do cause harm, um, you know the whole truth about herd immunity and all the things that we do you know it doesn't doesn't take very long for physicians to like get fired and, and that's one of the reasons why you know on the one hand I get really mad at doctors for being so lame and not you know yeah. stepping up but on the other hand they've all sold out they're all w-2 employees and so they sure. have to be careful what they say because their boss will fire them and they literally will get fired.
3: Yeah, this was a Dr. Simone Gold. She got fired the next day, America's Frontline donors, do, uh, Doctors. The very next day fired. That did not surprise me. I thought more of them would be fired. You know, they're really strict about that. And, you know, also with Blue Cross Blue Shield, um, I wasn't getting paid in Medicare, and I was getting penalized because I didn't have so many people vaccinated. I had almost no people vaccinated. Unless they went to another physician that came to me, they didn't get vaccinated. So we're talking, you know, over $100,000 or $200,000, they penalize you. But I would not do it. You know, they said, listen, this is a, either it's do or die, or, you know, feast or famine. And I'm like, I can't do that. I ethically cannot make someone get a vaccine when I know it's not in their best interest just because of money. Yeah. That's what you're faced with. That's what all doctors are faced with.
2: Yeah, all of them. And, you know, but on the other hand, you know, I, I, I don't like to give them an out either. Because yeah. if they, I mean, they could do what you were doing initially, which was truly informed consent yeah. and giving, showing people the package insert and walking through like each one of the, uh, like what, what yeah. is chicken pox really like? What is measles really like? Yeah. You know, here's the disease. Here's the, I don't even call it disease. I've made a really yeah. big uh, effort to not call these infections diseases. They're just an infection. You know, yeah. this is, here's what the infection looks like and here's what's coming through that needle. Now, what are you, are you more afraid of what's coming through that needle or are you more uh-huh. afraid of a fever, a cough, a rash, some diarrhea and, you know, You're maybe, right. you know, You're and correct. so, yeah, so that's what we need to do. So I'm so grateful to have you part out here again, uh, coming out from underneath the closet, out of the closet. <laughs> I, I took, a, <laughs> I was in a cocoon for five years and now I'm back
3: out. So yeah. And, and like I said, I, I've had a, a lot of knowledge of different things, you know, like, uh, especially kind of the kind of infection people are developing with this COVID-19. It reminds me of mycoplasma
2: pneumonia. So I'm familiar with that, how to treat that. And what's so, going on with that? So when you decided to hop back in, I mean, I saw the first video that you did, you know, and you were talking about this whole transhumanism of what this, yes. what this D is going to do. I did a, an Instagram live just an hour ago at nine o'clock this morning with Judy Mikovits and Judy and I've been friends like forever. And uh, <clears throat> so we were talking about the messenger RNA and the little snip of the mRNA that's going to be part of this vaccine and, and how we've all been sensitized to coronaviruses by actually out in the environment plus flu, through the flu shots and what this mRNA is going to do. Take it from there, from your research, about what, what you found out about what this vaccine is going to do in terms of getting inside of the DNA and all of those sorts of things. Well, when they're talking
3: about the application of the vaccine, what keeps coming up is two processes. One is um, using the micro needle platform. That's that bandage that you stick on, side, uh, on your skin. Uh, The CDC has been talking about giving it out for even the regular flu vaccine. And in that application, they're using hydrogel. And they also talk about an identifier called luciferase. But the main point is they're actually using the microneedle platform, which actually has the ability to break through the cell wall and let the DNA or the RNA, whatever they're using in the vaccine, go into the cell. That's called transfection. Another one is, uh, you can use CRISPR technology, you know, using a vector, like a, a virus, which they've used in, vi- they've used in vac- vaccines for a long time now. Uh, that's another, uh, proposed method. The third one is electroporation, which there are some, I believe Innovio is one of them, uh, proposing to use a little device when they're injecting the vaccine into you. It actually gives you a little, electric shock. It's supposedly, it's nothing that maybe more like a buzz that you would feel, but it is an electrical pulse. And those, all those techniques are called transfection. Those are all under one big lump term. Okay. Transfection is a way of integrating a synthetic or a foreign RNA or DNA into your DNA, into your nucleus, into your um, genome. Okay, this is how you introduce it. Now, the, ter- or the definition of transfection, if you read it, they'll tell you transfection can be temporary, or it can go ahead and be fully integrated permanently into your genome, and then it will, it will be replicated when your genome replicates, and even passed to your offspring, so that would be permanent. They even said sometimes it's temporary, some, sometimes it's permanent, okay? But they all, all these vaccines are using a technique called transfection, all of them. I've never seen one that isn't yet for the COVID-19. So if they're using transfection, and I, how I can explain this easier to people, is look at the genetically modified organisms. If you look at that and you look at how do they make them, all of them will use the word transfection. And all of them will use electroporation, a vector, or they use um, uh, like a microneedle platform if they're using animals, Okay. So this has been used for a long time in the literature and in the science. You've got to dig it out and find. But they're not being honest with us, okay, because this is something that you'd have to go look yourself, look and see, and dig through the literature and see, okay, how are they, u- how are they actually developing this vaccine? What are they using? Oh, they're using electroporation. What in the world? This is a brand-new technology. Oh, they're using a microneedle platform. This is what they're proposing okay, maybe they're using a regular needle and syringe, but then you see they're using a vector, a vector virus, a live virus that is that like mycoplasma pneumonia is a vector that's actually in the vaccine live, and it goes in there because it's going to carry that in genetic uh, information, and it, it actually goes in to infect your cell, go inside your cell, and then it will integrate that part of the gene into your genome, and then you will start making it. So we, this technology has been around for a while, and I think – most doctors aren't even trained in that that much. (laughs) So here you go. You've got all this new technology going on and they're just saying, Hey, it's a new vaccine. It's great. And I think that the large majority of doctors don't even understand what this, what they're proposing to do. Oh, they don't have a clue about any of it.
2: They don't have a clue about any of it, Carrie, you know that. They don't, I mean, is this, this, this. I I, I haven't
3: been in the U S for five years. So, you know,
2: I mean, I'm assuming not much has changed. No, not much has changed. And they don't, I mean, I, I would, I'm not a betting girl. I mean, I don't, I'm I don't, not a gambler, but I would lay a, a sizable chunk of money down on the table to say that I would, I would say that 85% of physicians in all specialties, like across the boards, but the ones that advocate for flu shots and shingles, vaccines, and all this other stuff, 85% or more haven't even so much as read a package insert. They haven't had a clue what the side effects are, what the contraindications are, what the ingredients are. They don't have a clue. You're right.
3: None of my colleagues or my students had ever even thought about reading the insert.
2: They didn't even know there was an
3: insert sometimes. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Can you believe that? I know. There was like, you know, but I'll tell you, I, I know that long before I got involved in, in researching all of this stuff, when I was back my, as an ear doc, you know, I grew up in a chiropractic family. So I, my grandfather, my father, three uncles, and two cousins were chiropractors. That's why I wanted to be a DO and to be an osteopath because uh, I wanted to have that tool in my toolbox. And none of us were vaccinated as kids, none of us, none of my cousins, nobody. And it never really, you know, when I was in the ER, it never really occurred to me to look at a package insert because what I thought was coming through that needle was a little dead or attenuated virus and some sterile water. That was it. What was the big deal. Why even bother to look at it? Now, you know, and back when I went to medical school, there were only three vaccines. There was only DPT, MMR, and polio. I mean, that was it. It wasn't until 91 when they started the big ramp up of the schedule. So, I mean, I never looked at it. And it, when they would bring the kids in, they'd be sick. They'd have ear infections. They'd all be snotting out with um sinusy stuff. And the nurses would say, they're behind on their vaccine. Should we catch them up? And I would say, nah, they got enough to worry about right now. They don't need to be doing that. They can do that later. And that's with no background, no knowledge, no anything about anything. I just said, no, that just did never make sense to me. But they don't know. They don't know what's coming through the needle. So this transfection thing, has that been used in any of the other vaccines, like the regular childhood vaccines, do you know? You know, now that I've been looking at it more, yes, because if they're using a vector,
3: now this would be – this is why – so I always ask questions, why is there a live infection in some of these, these um, vaccines? And what I was told from my attendings was that, oh, that's just a contaminant, contaminant, right? How does that just happen? Mm-hmm. And then this is why they put an antibiotic in some of them, but neomycin could never treat mycoplasma pneumonia. So what they would tell me was, bullshit. Sorry, (laughs) There's not a better word than that. (laughs) So I I, I just didn't believe anything that they were telling me. So this was always my confusion. What is the purpose of that? Well, when I realized what mycoplasma pneumonia could be used for was when I went to a, a scientific meeting where Dr. Craig Venter was there. He's part of the Human Genome Project, one of the main guys. And he was talking about how they were using vectors for CRISPR technology, okay? And that mycoplasma pneumonia was one of the best ones that they had to do that with. So explain, looking- so
2: explain to one of the uh, people, people, now they're saying they can't hear you on the live stream. Oh. Me? Yeah. I just got two messages oh, no. saying they can't hear you on the live stream. Yeah, this is weird. You don't have like a uh, mute on anywhere, do you? I'm looking, it doesn't say, it's not on.
3: No, it's not on mute now. I don't know what happened.
2: Well, we'll just keep going because so we're, we're gonna have the record oh we' we'll, we'll have the recordings and stuff like that. so so we'll we'll do that. But, uh, uh,
3: I took my earphones off. I didn't know if that was a problem.
2: uh we'll see we'll see if anybody can 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 you hear now. keep going. Tell people what CRISPR technology is.
3: Okay, CRISPR technology is, in essence. You're going in and you're snipping out, like almost taking two scissors, and snipping out a section of your genome, and then you're reinserting another piece inside of there. So you could insert something brand new into that genome that the genome has never seen before. That would be synthetic, okay, creating something new. It's not from nature. You could actually translocate, meaning you could take one piece of the genome and switch it to another place, flip-flop. Um, you could actually just take one piece out and you're, you're missing one or put an extra piece in. Usually what you're going to see, though, you're taking one section out and putting a new section in. So we would have to have a mechanism of doing that. The most uh, common and the oldest way would be using a vector. A vector, uh, primarily the easiest way, would be using something like a virus or bacteria, usually a virus. A virus carrying a genetic code, it, it's carrying something that they wish they intend to put into that new genome. So it's carrying it inside of it. It goes in. It's infecting, going into the cell, going into the nucleus, and allowing – it's integrating its little part of the gene into your genome, and now you are going to replicate that part. That's how mycoplasma pneumonia works. It actually goes – it's not even a fully functioning – Uh, bacteria on its own. It's pieces, actually. It needs your red blood cell. It has to go inside your red blood cell, and it uses your red blood cell as its own. And so inside of the red blood cell, it actually turns into mycoplasma pneumonia. It has its genetic code inside of you, and it makes itself inside of your red blood cell, and then spreads more, so it's very easily um, hidden from your immune system, because on the outside, it looks like you, your red blood cell, but on the inside, it's the mycoplasma pneumonia, so this is the way this infection can keep going on and on, but is using, in essence, that vector, that virus is using CRISPR technology, okay, it's able to insert something, so Looking back now in time, looking back at why did I question some of our vaccines when there was mycoplasma pneumonia, well, perhaps that was the way they were using a vector in those vaccines. I think this industry has been the most deceitful and malicious, now that I look back, that I have seen in medicine. And uh, throughout time, I've seen such lies. Uh, one of my first interest in vaccines came from the tetanus vaccine. And this, this was when I was even in high school. I questioned it because I said tetanus. Tetanus is this disease or this this uh, infection that once you get, let's say, that dirty nail inside your foot, that within minutes to hours you're supposed to have such severe tetany that you are spasming so hard that you can't breathe and you suffocate to to, to death. It's supposed to be the most Horrific thing to ever see. I had never heard of it. I asked family and friends, even when I was in high school. No one's ever heard of it. Throughout my medical training, I asked the top infectious disease specialist. No one's ever heard of it. I had one of the top people research this for me. They told me that they had no identifiable Koch's postulates case that could ever be linked to tetanus. I said, well, then what you're telling me is it does not exist because by science it does not exist. He got very mad at me, told me to shut up because we can't be talking about that now. I said, but you're telling me it doesn't exist. I said, why do we give it? So looking at, and I was in, was I in residency at the time? Somewhere around there. I actually came across some data or information showing how the Vatican found out that the tetanus vaccine was actually the abortion vaccine. Because in Latino countries, there's several Latino countries, they noticed that the NIH and some other, um, you know, Charitable institutions were giving the tetanus vaccine only to women of childbearing age. No men, no younger people. This doesn't make sense. Tetanus goes to everybody, right? Not just women of childbearing age. They were suspicious. They had the vaccine analyzed. They found out that it contained hCG, the human chorionic gonadotropin, which this is the pregnancy hormone. It's for other things, but usually pregnancy that we think of. So this meant that if you're using a vaccine, a vaccine is mounting an immune response against whatever's in that vaccine, right? So that means your body, once it got pregnant, would mount an immune response, attack the HCG. It would then abort an early abortion, right? So the Vatican questioned this. They questioned the NIH and some other big institutions. They actually had no problem admitting, yes, we have been working on this since like 1972, and we think we perfected it. it this was publicly acknowledged, And I also questioned this. So this was my, and I knew that I would find this because when I was in Detroit, you know, we were in a very, very poor hospital, you know, delivering babies. And I realized that people with the worst medical care, the worst health care, they're so obese, so unhealthy on drugs, they were so fertile, they could have 20 kids. And you know what? And then people that were trying to take care of themselves, could they were infertile. I'm like, there's something. What is going on? And I also noticed this. We never gave them tetanus vaccines or HPV vaccines, the people that were on public uh, assistance. But we did give them the other ones. And I'm like, hmm, I wonder if there's a correlation between those vaccines and fertility. So that's what got me. So that was the background of what got me started looking for fertility and tetanus vaccine. And sure enough, I found it right away. And there's other Examples throughout the world of the tetanus vaccine actually being an abortion vaccine. Because we have no information to say this tetanus that kills you within minutes actually exists in the world. There's no Koch's posture to prove that. But we do have proof that our government agencies do use it for an abortion abortion vaccine. So this stuff has been going on for a while, absolutely. But I just think now they're ramping it up to – crazy level an insane level one that we cannot accept nobody can accept this
2: no that's that's amazing it's uh yeah it's interesting that you that you, it's interesting that you started with tetanus and actually why don't you put your um earbuds back on because that really didn't help and um your sound is a little bit better when you had it on it's a- actually Sorry. the um it was actually the last vaccine i investigated actually you know i i I kept thinking I I didn't want to go there because I remember when I was in the ER, I used to give tetanus like it was some special kind of candy, you know. it just, you know, uh <laughs> little is good, a lot is better. You know, it's better to be over, give too much tetanus and somebody's going to die. I was the same way. You know? I was the
3: same way. I was, I was you know, uh, telling everyone to get all these vaccines. Sure, I was doing the same thing until I started researching more.
2: Yeah. I and mean, realizing just... how
3: wrong I was.
2: Yeah. Well, yeah, and and it's interesting because I, you know, when I went to that first National Vaccine Information Center meeting in Washington, and came back and started looking, I where did I start? What vaccine did I start from? I think it was pertussis. And I remember sitting reading yeah. the pink book one night. It was like the seventh edition, which you cannot find anywhere anymore. They have wiped that off of everything. You cannot find the seventh edition of the, of the CDC pink book because there was a section in there on pertussis that I, fortunately I printed it out and I still have it and I have it on some slides that I use wow. that said That's that, good. um, there was no connection between pertussis vaccines and it said, um, that since there is no syndrome of vaccine injury, When children have uh, myoclonic jerks, seizure disorders, or SIDS, it's uh, uh, frequently blamed on the vaccine when it actually had nothing to do with the vaccine at all. That this was an underlying condition that the children were already going to have. And I remember it was like 2 o'clock in the morning reading this going, wait a minute. My brain went, wait a minute. (laughs) <laughs> Kids were going to die anyways. These babies were just going to die. And it just so happened it wasn't associated with the vaccine. And I remember I sat there and I just started to cry because I was like, this wow. is what physicians are taught. The vaccine has nothing to do with anything. That's when I wrote the article that what's, uh, what's coming through that needle is not holy water because they feel like they're just <laughs> blessing people with all these vaccines all along the way. <laughs> it's a good you analogy, know? <laughs> you know, and, uh, and I just started to cry because it was like, this is what this is what they're taught, that there is no syndrome of vaccine injury. The vaccines do nothing. They can harm no one under any circumstances or any conditions whatsoever. And um, and so it's uh, – you know, after that, it was kind of like an easy downhill slope, you know? And then I dug through all, I, I dug through all the old polio stuff and all of the stuff, the World Health oh, Organization yeah. polio papers, like it was size two font. It was like teeny tiny. And I was trying to track down of what year they stopped tracking, um, vaccine induced paralytic polio, you know, the VAP vaccine. Huh paralytic polio, yeah. and they just sort of quietly that went away because it was for every um, for every million doses. No, every every million doses of vaccine, there would be two doses, two cases of polio of paralysis. So I'm thinking, well, mm-hmm. gosh, they did 410 million doses of vaccine on a vaccination day. You know, and they when they do all this stuff through when they mark through um, when they march through Africa. So they were leaving behind anywhere from 80 to 100 paralyzed kids on this polio campaign when they were doing this. And, of course, when they do these polio, these vaccination campaigns in South America and Africa and Southeast Asia and all those different places, they never go back in time, like they don't go through and then go back through and go, okay, how many got hurt? They they just all of course. walk around. Of course. They get all these UNICEF volunteers, all these college kids who think they're doing something for humanity. And they're going across <laughs> and they're vaccinating all these kids and then leaving carnage and death behind them. You know, we've had a couple That's of questions true. that have come up, you know, I'm, I'm glad that I'm recording this and, and, and you're recording it so that we can, you know, put the links back up, because I guess people really can't hear you. But I can hear you and I know that, that we're recording over here. So we'll just, they'll get it after the fact. They wanted you to, and they wanted you to comment on the chimp virus they were using in the Oxford trials. I mean, what, what were they doing did in the Oxford trials that, I mean, I don't, I don't know that, I don't know if, do you know what specific vaccine they used in that, in those um, macaw monkey trials in Oxford? I know that the vaccine didn't no. protect them at all. I mean, the reason they stopped, there've no. been three trials now that they've stopped. They stopped the Oxford trial because as soon as they re-exposed the monkeys, they all got sick, all yeah. of them. So was there's only they, three of them, right? There's only three monkeys that they used
3: in that one trial. They used hardly any of them. One of them, they only used three. It was crazy. I'd have to look to see which one that was.
2: And whatever. then the, the AstraZeneca trial, they just stopped because somebody had got um, – uh, uh, paralysis. They got, you know, um, yeah, yeah. ADM, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. uh, acute yep. flaccid paralysis. And they said, Oh, well they were going to, that was going to happen anyways. They were just susceptible. <laughs> and then they stopped the, there was another, there was a, a Moderna trial that they stopped. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the thing is, is that, and I keep saying this for people that are listening, these things about these vaccines, think about, Everything that Dr. Judy Mikovits has said, everything I've said, everything Dr. Medea has said, all you know, other people have said about the problems with these vaccines and how horrible they are. I mean, they've been trying to develop a coronavirus vaccine since 2000. So for the last 20 years, they've been trying to develop a coronavirus vaccine. And all the animals either got horribly sick or died. And that literature is out there. I mean, it's going to come to the forefront as soon as they start this. In fact, we've been downloading the PDFs and saving them, thinking that they're going to strip the Internet of all of these studies. So we've been saving them. And so um – but, but here's the thing is that think about the people that they're asking for volunteers for these clinical trials are only the most healthy human specimens they can find, right? They, they don't smoke. They're not obese. They're not on any prescription medications. They are, um, uh, you know, the normal body weight. You know, they don't have any underlying conditions, neurological problems, uh, diabetes, any autoimmune diseases. They are the healthiest specimens they can find to put into these trials, which is about less than 1% of for sure the american population which everybody here is overweight they smoke they drink they you know they have diabetes they're on polypharmacy they're on all these different things but of course when the vaccine is ready to go it goes to everybody so it goes to everybody so i don't know know, i'd
3: like to point out to uh you're probably your listeners know this but you know the live vaccines, like the MMR (measles, mumps, rubella), you are, and, and the live polio, you are contagious for a minimum of two weeks after you receive that vaccine to other people around you. And uh, I don't, I think most people don't realize that. And I think Dr. did that too. <laughs> um so it's we have to know the risk of all the different kinds because now they're trying to say oh we might not use the micro band or the micro needle array maybe we won't use electroporation well they are going to use one of the other methods and they all have risk
2: yeah exactly one of the other questions and i get this a lot is you know if your children or if you've already been vaccinated is there anything that you can do to detox from that well, there's two things I will, two things I'll say about that, and then I'd love to hear what you have to say about it. Number one, I've always said once you vaccinate, you can't unvaccinate. I mean, once you have injected that stuff and it gets into your DNA, it's there. Yeah. Now. Having said that, you can make everything else healthier. I mean, you can detox your whole system. Um, you know, you can get rid of, uh, like we use a product that we advocate for on our website. It's called, it's a, it's a natural zeolite product from a company called Pure Body that's, uh, that I, I take it every day myself. It's a natural, it's called, it's from Touchstone. It's called Pure Body. And um, it really, it will take out heavy metals. It'll take out persistent organic pollutants. It will take out aluminum. It will take out some of that stuff. And we've seen some amazing reversals, just amazing reversals of vaccine injury sorts of things. So yes, you can improve your health, but can you ever get back to where you were before you vaccinated? It's my opinion that you can't. What are your thoughts about that?
3: I agree with you that you can't get totally back to where you were before. No. And I believe a lot in the heavy metal detox as well and making everything else in your, your body, you know, it's different ways to detox from heavy metals. In my practice I use a lot of um, vitamin IVs, high dose vitamin C and uh Meyer's cocktail. And that helps a lot too, with detoxing, if it's something that's more urgent or significant. Um, and I use a clay as well. And actually I use diatomaceous earth, believe it or not. I think that works really, really well. And it's cheap and easy to get. Uh, Great improvement with that. Um, and also glycine actually too, because glycine and higher doses helps to pull out the pesticides, like the Roundup pesticide from your body. The only thing we know of and doing that, if you make your gut healthier, we know that vaccine injuries are associated with a poor gut. Uh, that also improves the gut. So those are some, some different things that I've, I've used as well, but you're right. And this vaccine though, this COVID-19, there's no turning back on this one. This is a, this is, no joke, everybody, because they are introducing, they want to introduce nanotechnology. Now, we're talking about a whole other issue here, not just the regular vaccines. But if you look and see the patent numbers and what they're proposing, they want to introduce microscopic little robots into us, biosensors, they're called. And so I don't know how to get rid of that. I mean, do you, Dr. Tenpenny? I, I have no idea how we could get rid of nanotechnology inside of our bodies.
2: Or they This scares or the hydro- or the hydrogel. me so much the hydrogel
3: yeah that that's the nat, that's the same they're one and the same really and then the identifier that they want to use but this now oh, this is a game changer and there are millions of them and they can multiply because they're self-replicating organisms that are alive but not alive because they're robotic and they can assemble disassemble and reassemble in your body innumerable times and for all that we know this could be forever in our bodies how do you stop that? What if it gets out of control? This is artificial intelligence linking us up. This means it's a, we literally become a, a computer or cell phone, and we all know they can get hacked. They get, definitely get viruses, right? This is a total game changer, and you need to, people need to look at that patent number that Microsoft, Bill Gates, introduced. It was published March 26, 2020, the 060606. Uh, 06, 06. And that pat or the publication of the international patent for almost every country for making that biosensor inside of us what they want to introduce with the vaccine, they actually want to make it linked up with cryptocurrency. So then our bodies become a way of of our monetary system. Your body is your money. Think about that. Well, we get hacked into everything. What if somebody decides they don't want you to have your cryptocurrency, your money? Uh, they could actually cut you off. What if you're not considered a good person in society? You get cut off from your money, your cryptocurrency, because they are proposing no more cash, right? And even getting rid of car- credit cards. You literally, this, this is not just like the vaccine issues we're talking about. It's not just about our illness and our health and wellness. We're talking about our privacy, autonomy, and freedoms now. All of this is being suggested to be introduced into this vaccine among all the horror- horrific things we were just talking about. So, and I encourage people to look up these patent numbers on their own because when you see it with your own eyes and you do it yourself, you type that in the keyboard, I think it's so much more powerful than us just telling you. It, it is. And talk tell about, everybody you know because... They, go talk ahead. Talk about the
2: luciferase <laughs> enzyme.
3: Yeah. That one is, uh, uh, it's uh, nanocrystals. That is nanotechnology as well. And it, they're bioluminescent. They actually have a light source. On their own. So you, you and I could not see this once it's under our skin. It's in the subcutaneous tissue. But if you have a special application on your iPhone, if you scan over it, it will light up into different patterns or numeric code. It's no different than World War Two Nazi concentration camps. It's exact same thing. You have your own identifier that is now you can scan because the reason for this is they care about us so much for the good of humanity. They want to make sure everybody's vaccinated and they don't trust us saying we got vaccinated. They don't trust the medical system. So you're going to have to have the proof by having that uh, identifier and the identifier would then be linked up to your, it's like your own bank account too. So then this is how you know how much money you have and what's going on. Um,
2: And then that goes into the, they say that would last five years. And then that goes into the Google, Go the, the Google backdrop of the social credit scores that they've been working on with China. Yes, for a long time. So what, what, what Dr. Carey was saying about, um, you know, if you just if you misbehave, like you and I would be the first ones out the door, right? Yeah. <laughs> so you know. Oh yeah. So, so because day one, day one, <laughs> day one, because you know they want to stick. They've been working towards a cashless society for a long time, a long time. And now they're, you know, now they're getting like, say, oh, that dirty money, you can't touch that dirty money because you're sharing a a coronaviruses like everywhere, right? (laughs) <laughs> um, so it's, uh, yeah. so that's, so it's all linked together. I mean, the transhumanism movement, the artificial intelligence movement, the, uh, the, the monetary system with the, the nanotechnology, the nanoparticles, the tap, the nanotattoos, the photoluminescence things that they inject underneath the skin, you know, we'll get to the place where you can't buy, sell or trade without having all uh, this injection. I mean, they're already talking about, you know, the COVID-19, you know, the COVID-19 tracking device yeah. on your phone so that you can have all your medical records in one place, and all they have to do is just scan it over your hand, and there you are. Yeah. Yeah. And then where is this knowledge or where is the data going to?
3: Nobody's addressed that. It's going to the cloud. What does that mean? Who's getting that data? Who's marketing? You know people are making money off of that. Who's marketing off that? What is that being used for? Who's seeing it? There's, there's all sorts of questions with that. It's it's not just about our health. And I tell people, if they look at their health app and go look at, there's a way to look at the subcategories and sections, you will be floored to see what they can actually monitor through the health app. All they have to do, they're miss, the missing link is the nanotechnology. The missing link is getting us to have the hydrogel nanotechnology, luciferase, crystals, whatever you want to call them, all these different terms, names. Once they get that in us, it's game over. We are automatically connected. And I, some people tell me, fine, I'll get rid of my smartphone. No, we have smart devices everywhere. Your television, your microwave, your smart meter, the traffic light. Okay, you go in the middle of the jungle like me with nothing around. Guess what? You can't have one person next to you with a phone. If someone comes, comes close to you, you will light up or you will then be trackable again. This is like the worst dystopian sci-fi movies all pushed into one. That they're trying to propose on us, and they're trying to push this through and sneak it through, and being deceitful and dishonest and not telling us this. There's no here. There's no, you know, freedom of speech or freedom of uh, knowledge or anything that's going on right now. We have been. All these things have been taken away, and right now, these two months are so important. We all need to stand up, and we all need to say no. We all need to start educating every single person you see, the taxi cab driver, the person walking along, the person in the grocery store. I don't care. This is our duty. Once you have the knowledge, it is your duty to start telling people about this. And, you know, on my page, I'm listing all these references, and I'm sure, Dr. Tenpenny, you are, but if people need, I see they don't know how to look up the patent numbers, i'll I'll provide links or if you're you know to Michelle and you can spread that so they can actually see all the patents this is this is a time to get off and rise up and stand up and start talking because this is I'm not just saying this just to scare people I'm saying this because this is reality as we know it this is the game changer this is what we thought this could happen in the future but it's happening right now, and I won't go down without screaming it from the rooftops and warning everybody. So the next two months, guys, please, please start talking to everybody about it, and please look up these patent numbers. I mean, the the one for the cryptocurrency, they give you the diagram. There's a stick figure. That's you or me. Stick figure, it goes to – it has the sensor. The sensor is your biosensor inside your body. They want to inject in you. The biosensor is then linked to the device, which is your smartphone. Smartphone is then linked to – 5g because they need the big bandwidth 5g then goes to the cloud where whoever can do whatever but this is not just one way it's two-way it goes down and up and dr craig venter and i think i've told you this before he even mentioned and bill gates that this technology this hydrogel can has a pad it actually i'm just getting simplified could be then transmitted into your hydrogel your nanotech nan- nanobots they would then code for aspirin inside your body and you would make it you would literally make your own drug there's a lot of data on that gates was having this little dr evil look you don't make your own drugs then we don't you know your bodies will may be your own drug factories wow does this go against our tenets of being osteopaths or what right no kidding <laughs> i am yeah. kidding me and then who controls that Who's controlling that? What if you're a rioter or a protester or speaking out? You're a threat to society. There's a little buzz. And now, now, or just
2: a sedative, you know, they drug you up. So we need to stop stop it. And you're, uh, yeah, I mean, wow. I remember him. I remember seeing that video of him saying, yeah, your body becomes its own little vaccine manufacturer. It's like, so you push the on button. There's no off button. It goes on and on and ever. Yeah. The question has come up a couple of times here about borax, boron. Uh, does, that, does boron salts, does boron do anything to interrupt nanotech? I would say not, but I don't I know what you're... Not. I would I, say not. Either. I don't
3: think so. If anything, you know, people are talking about, I think the answer would lie in a magne- magnetic force, in my opinion. We would <laughs> have to look at something like that. And that's something that I have to research into because right now I don't have the answer for that. But I think it's more about magnetic force. You know, something interesting I should say is cholesteramine powder. Are you familiar with that? Uh Okay. I've used that a lot in my practice because uh, mycoplasma pneumonia, believe it or not, has nanotechnology on it. Okay. It always has. So that's another story. It's neurotoxins, nanotechnology. And so this was, it was so hard for me to get rid of this in people's bodies because of the, the toxicity, right? So um, I, when I was researching, came across Dr. Shoemaker, and he actually was talking about mold giving off neurotoxins. And he was saying he found that cholesteramine actually binds because of its magnetic force. This is how he described it. It bound to the neurotoxins and you could would excrete it very safely. So I'm like, well, if it works for those neurotoxins, maybe it would still have the same idea with this mycoplasma, and it worked beautifully. So I used that in combination with the doxycycline, and we could successfully clear out the mycoplasma pneumonia from people's bodies. So this is something to look into. I use the powder and the canister. So it actually is using, it's almost to me, I I, I equate it to a magnet where it's drawing and pulling in these uh, neurotoxins to it. And then you excrete it through your bowel movement. So you're not having to process the toxin either. So that's
2: something I used uh, for a long time. You know, what's really pretty interesting is that I've known this from like the early days of when I started putting together vaccine PowerPoints and stuff like that from the early days. So we're talking 20 years ago. You know, the whole issue of bovine serum and particularly fetal bovine serum. And for those of you who haven't really looked into that, I mean, fetal bovine serum is is blood cow sacrifice. I mean, they—the way that they extract the blood from these fetuses. I mean, the cow goes to slaughter. They find out the pregnant—the cow is pregnant. They take—they extract the uterus with the fetus in it, and then they put a large bore needle into the heart of the fetus while it's still alive, and it just—you kidding me? Yeah, it's really disgusting. And then the, I, I didn't the, know that the, uh, the um uh, uh, gestation of a of a baby cow is 9 months just like with humans and yeah. you know it has to be at least 3 months old for the for them to get enough blood out of it but they put this large bore needle into the heart of this of oh. this fetus and and bleed it to death and then so it's really Are you kidding ble- me
3: I did not know that.
2: Yeah, then they bleed it to death <laughs> and then they separate out the fetal serum and the fetal bovine serum has been is is used in almost every vaccine. It's used as as a growth product in almost every vaccine, and the bovine serum is used in it's used in the rubella, rubella fraction of the MMR, chicken pox, the polio vaccine, yeah. Prevnar, pneumovax, shingles vaccines, uh, hepatitis A. It's used in almost all of them, and nearly a hundred percent of the fetal bovine serum is is, a, is that they use commercially is contaminated with cow viruses, and six percent of the samples. And what made me think about this that six percent yeah. of all the fetal bovine serum is contaminated with mycoplasma. So, mycoplasma is getting in through, is in the, is conti- they use the fetal bovine serum to grow the viruses. It becomes a contaminant in the vaccine. Okay. So, mycoplasma is literally, so where you're seeing all these mycoplasma things, it's okay. it's in the pneumovax, which is the adult pneumonia vaccine. It's in the shingles vaccine. It's in chickenpox. It's in all of these different things. The fetal oh. bovine serum stuff, I'll send you a couple of slides. Oh, on yeah, thank you. So, you can, you can the whole thing about, and how I actually even found out about it was I was creating a table. Um that I never finished because it was just too much tedious work, that I was putting all the vaccines across the top and all the ingredients down the side. And I wanted Mm -hmm. to go to all the package inserts and put all the ingredients in there and convert all the units of measures to micrograms. Because sometimes they're picograms and nanograms. Sure. So that we could literally go down a column and add up the total amount of foreign matter in terms of micrograms in each one of the vaccines. Well, as I was going through the package inserts, I was finding... You know there was like seven different types of cow serum that they recommended. It was like adult uh, adult bovine serum, cow-fed, you know uh, infant and then fetal so I started looking at this and I thought, there, there must be a difference between them, or they wouldn't be listing them as individual things. I mean, there they must be a difference, uh, or they, the FDA would just, it would just say cow serum, right? Yeah. So that's how I went down the rabbit hole and found out all this stuff about <laughs> the fecal bovine serum and yeah. about how they, how it's actually used, how, how it's, uh, and, and, the chicken fibroblasts and all the different stuff that they use. It's just really super disgusting. Would yeah, you like I to leave, would you like to leave everybody with here today?
3: Uh, just thank you for having me on here. I'm, I'm excited to work with you, Dr. Tenpenny. Um, just wanting people that now, more than ever, they have to educate themselves about the upcoming vaccine. Not just all of them, but this particular one, we really need to do this. They want to start launching it within two to three months on everyone. And this is a game changer. It could change all of our lives instantly, not just our health, but our privacy, our freedoms, and our autonomies please research and please start telling everybody you see about this because if we spread the knowledge, we spread the word, I have such love and faith and hope in my heart that we can stop something from happening to us that is very tragic.
2: Yeah, I I so totally agree with you. Everybody needs to know about this. People need, and, and they don't. It's astonishing to me how they don't I mean, I suppose if you're glued to CNN all day long and you think that, you know, the only way that you can get, you know, you have to wear a mask, you have to stay apart, which is just the first set of social conditioning, and then people are going to be so desperate to say, please, just give me my life back. Give me the vaccine and let me just get my life back. You're never getting your life back.
3: No. It's through a vaccine. No. It's done. not happening. It's you're not done, happening. Yeah.
2: There's a lot of people though that are uh, awakened. <laughs> They're just being quiet right now. Right. So I think there's more than we realize. So where can they find you? Where can where's your Facebook page? You have a, a website. Where can they I, find you? Yeah, you? there's
3: on my Facebook page it has many links to the YouTube channel. There's a bit a bit shoots uh, and my Twitter feed, my parlor. But on my web page, if they look for me, they can find all those links. Um, yeah, and I also have a backup web page waiting because everyone's being deplatformed right now. So it's a, it's a serendipitygroup.org, and that's my backup. I've already have some information there, but that's where I'll move everything if that well, happens.
2: Well, we'd like to invite you to come over to our platform, which is disseminate.tv, yeah. which is where this will all be stored. disseminate.tv, which is will never be censored, never be deplatformed. You can monetize it if you want. I mean, it's a um, it's growing. And I think within the next couple of weeks, we'll have live streaming available over there. So I've been telling everybody it's a really good place to use as a safety deposit box. You know, you yeah. got all the stuff in BitChute, you got all the stuff over on YouTube. Well, also upload it on disseminate.tv. It's free, but it's super secure. We've had we've attacks had carry that we've done 100,000 individual IP attacks every five to six minutes, and our fortress holds. <laughs> So never be take, it. it'll never be taken down over there. And, you know, just as everybody <laughs> else, we're over here on Facebook. You know, our our solution to Facebook is called Uniting.Zone. It's, uh, it looks very yeah. similar to this sort of platform. And it's also a place where you can communicate privately. There's no eyes looking over you, and there's no data going out to three-letter agencies. And so um, okay. uniting.zone and disseminate.tv, all of my Instagram lives are on disseminate.tv. The ones I do in the morning, on Mondays, my happy hour with Dr. T that I do every night, my Thursday nights that I do with uh, Dr. Larry Pilevsky. We should do an osteopathic one. Wouldn't that be yeah. fun? That,
3: that would be, be fun. fun. To just talk about osteopathic nice things. I've talked about this. <laughs>
2: yeah. that would be wonderful i would love that it would be great well thank you so much for sharing your time so generously with me here today as soon as we get the link the video link we'll send it over to you and um, and i look forward to more conversations about all kinds of things with you thank you so much for 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 coming out of the closet and getting back in the game we need you we really need you thank you dr tenpenny it's my pleasure i'll
3: talk to you soon we'll talk again real soon take care everybody Bye. Bye.
0: In case anybody did not know, that was wow. Elvis Presley, and the name of the song is. Are we back? Yes. Ms. Nancy? Yes, we're back. Let's see hey there. Uh oh. Why can't you hear me? Nancy. Okay, sorry, I, I was muted. <laughs> I don't. Okay. Um, that was <laughs> Elvis Presley, and the name of the song. i Well, I know, but maybe there's you know a few people that are under the age of 30 that might not have recognized it. <laughs> <laughs> and the uh name of the song is If I Can Dream and I understand he did that for Martin Luther King.
1: Yeah, there's a uh, I'm so thrilled that you played that. That uh, you know, well I'm trying to goosebumps. get a little
0: hope in here, you know? I mean, <laughs> Yeah, and that's fantastic. Gives me goosebumps every
1: time I hear that song. And uh the, there's a story behind that song which is that um there was a famous comeback special that Elvis did in the fall of 1968 and he wanted to shake off the influence of his manager, Colonel Parker, his contract to making all those mediocre movies was up and he wanted to get back in front of a live audience. And, uh, so there was this comeback special and, um, Colonel Parker actually was trying to semi-sabotage it and, and Elvis managed to, uh, to pull it off, it was electrifying. I mean, it it, it was um, just an off-the-charts hit because he went back to his roots, right? And so this is only a few months after Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was uh, assassinated in Memphis. Remember, this, he was killed in Memphis, Elvis' hometown. Well, his hometown was Tupelo, Mississippi, but you know he lived in Memphis at Graceland. And uh, Elvis was a huge supporter of Dr. King and, and believer in his, in his work. So when it came to this special, uh, he had a friend who was a songwriter who, who came to him with this song as a tribute to Dr. King. And Elvis just fell in love with the song and said, we've absolutely got to do this. This is going to be the closing song for the comeback special. On network TV right and uh, so they're they're taping the show it was all pre-taped it wasn't live and Colonel Parker finds out that Elvis is gonna do a song a tribute to Martin Luther King and it says no way no way that is not gonna happen you you are not doing a song to that troublemaker he probably used a lot of other bad words on this show and um Elvis stepped out of that meeting into the hallway with the director of the show and, uh, and the musical director. And he said, feck him. Okay. He didn't use the word feck. He said, feck him. We're doing it. And you can see, pull it up on YouTube folks. You can see the passion with which Elvis delivers that song. And, um, uh, yeah, and, and it's the perfect song. So well chosen, Nancy. Uh, just the, the perfect song. You know what what um, um, Dr. Tenpenny and uh, Terry Medej were. Is this Terry? Is it Terry Medej? Whichever. Terry
0: Medej. Um, was saying. Just call here, her Dr. Yeah. Carrie. Everybody calls her Dr. Ah, okay, Carrie. Okay, because Dr. I've heard her last name, Manej. Mene. I mean, nobody seems to quite get it. Or I think maybe Tenpenny had it, but um, so we just all call it Doctor
1: Which I, I love those names; those are great.
0: Well, I put when I messaged you, I put in Tenpenny, and the the automatic change on the phone made it into a British pound thingy, you know, or whatever that oh. symbol is, <laughs> with a yeah, ten. It,
1: it, it's a uh, some kind of UK measurement, uh, archaic. <laughs> term there Ten penny nail and all that good stuff yeah. uh, so anyway you know what right at the end of the show uh, of the tape that that you brought to us today that she was saying i have such faith and hope and belief that we are going to you know that, that freedom will win human sovereignty will win and it's going to be because We stand up and and share the truth because we urge everybody to, you know, okay, here's the link. Do your own research. Okay, here's what is happening. Here's what is documented. And, you know, just hearing these two brave, smart women coming from, you know, such expertise and grounded, you know, in decades of experience and coming, you know, with that energy of, of feminine compassion and as mothers, you know, that that's to, to me, you know, that is the the energy and wisdom. And at the same time, the ferocity of, you know, of a mother protecting her children. Uh, you know, that's to me, that's just a really beautiful, powerful thing that can that can sweep away a lot of of this um, toxic uh, you know, toxic, deliberate um, attacks on on human freedom that that we're dealing with here, and I I just got to say, I could I kept hearing my mother's voice in my ear because you know, as I've shared on the show before, my father, Dr. Paul J. Dunn, was a holistic pediatrician before there was such a thing. He and my mom were pioneers in integrative medicine. And working with brain injured and and learning disability kids and they helped found the Montessori movement in the United States. And I can just hear my mom, you know, towards the end of her life, beginning to wake up to what was going on. And they were lucky in the 70s in Chicago to escape the uh, clutches of the AMA who were already beginning to crack down on holistic pediatricians. And I can just hear my mom saying, you know, oh dear, I'm so glad it's <laughs> it's that we aren't dealing with this. You children have are gonna have to somehow deal with this because you know, my father was also a cranial osteopath. You hear Dr. carey and Dr. Tenpenny lighting up about the beauty of cranial osteopathy and um and it just everything these two women were saying would be simultaneously music to my parents' ears and would just, you know, make them go pale because they know the establishment. They knew the AMA. They knew big pharma. They knew what was behind it. We all got vaccinated as kids in the 60s. You know, it was like, oh, we got polio, tetanus shot, get your booster. It's all good. You know, back before they started to roll out all this other toxic material. So it's, um, it's just very refreshing and, and instills hope to to hear Dr. Carey and Dr. Tenpenny give us all this detail, give us all the, the fruit of their decades of experience, you know, show us this bleak picture. As, as she said, Dr. Tenpenny said, I mean, this is like every dystopian, scary, end of the world, AI takeover sci-fi movie rolled into one. I mean it's matrix Terminator, War of the Worlds, you name it, all rolled into one horrific propaganda fear mongering campaign um and yet we're gonna win yet you know, have faith, be brave, have hope, share the information um and and I, yeah, thank you uh so much nancy for for playing playing uh, the song of my man there, uh, of Elvis. As you know, we're working on a documentary um, on his spirituality, and it it just lights me up.
0: Well, we're going to do a lot more Elvis, because um, I read Maya's book, Blue Star Love. Well, I haven't read it. Um, I'm in the process of doing it, about Elvis. And actually, she cited that song and another song, In the Ghetto. Um, as being, you know, indications of how deeply he was uh, connected to the black community. And yeah. And it, it's a magical story. I was not a fan. I was not really into music at that time. Um, but I was not, I, I, I mean, I appreciated him, but it wasn't like I was a fan. You know, I mean, those people were a little nutty. Um, but looking back in the way that Maya, Maya is, you know, I can't say enough about her ability to provide the deeper metaphysical, esoteric information that one would need to really understand him. And I don't know that any of us can really understand him, but get a better glimpse of this amazing little kid. I mean, the story she tells of him, of him talking to God, you know, as a, yeah. as a child, and getting his, his mouth washed out. You know that type of thing. Um, and he, you, you, if you're in in, been in the conspiratorial realm for so long. You know, as I have, you can understand how lonely he must have felt, because nobody. You know, there was there was the one one black woman at least, Mary. You know, um, she listened to him, and she said, "No, you are talking to God," and she understood him. So you, you, all of us have had people in our lives that said, "No, you're not crazy. You really, you understand it." Um, but to see how very, I mean, so I, I mean, I, to be honest with you, sometimes I'm skipping what Maya's saying just to hear more of what Elvis was saying. And yeah. because these are tapes in many cases of uh, Elvis, and it's it's stuff that's been compilated by other researchers it's a marvelous marvelous um, piece of literature but also i started to i i i said no i want to start listening to his songs and i had heard in the ghetto many times it was very popular but my god when i sat down and listened to it right now in today's environment you know you want to just for kicks you want me to play it
1: hey sure
0: Let's do it. It's, it's only three song. minutes. Okay, here it, we go. And remember, this 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 song came out back in the probably this was 60, 70, s- 60, yeah 70, like yeah seventy nineteen
1: seventy. Yeah. So still, you know, in in the the heat and the height of of the civil rights movement, and you know, and all the riots in the wake of Dr. King's assassination.
0: Okay, here we go. Mm.
4: As the snow flies On a cold and gray Chicago morning A poor little baby child is born in the ghetto And his mama cries
0: if there's one thing that she
4: don't need, it's another hungry mouth we'll to feed. Well, My people, don't you understand? Your child needs a helping hand. You're, help You're you gonna be an angry man, man someday. Take a look at you and me. Are we too blind to see? You is simply starving. And the other Well the world, the
0: world turns And a hungry little boy with the red nose Plays in the street as the cold wind blows And the kid
4: home And, and his hunger, hunger bells Oh, he starts to roam the streets at night And he learns how to steal And he learns how to fight And they get it told. Then one night in desperation The young man breaks away He buys a gun, and steals a car He tries to run, but he don't get far And his mama cries Let his mama cries as the crowd gathers round an angry young man face down in the street with a gun, his hand in the ghetto. And as her young man dies, on a cold and gray Chicago and another little baby child is born in the ghetto. And his mama cries. And his mama cries. On the cold and rich Chicago, born in the blood, and a baby child is born in the ghetto. In the ghetto. Chicago morning, another little baby child is born
1: in the ghetto. Okay, you there, Nancy?
0: <clears throat> yes, that was, uh. His daughter, Lisa Marie Presley.
1: Okay, yeah, I wondered. Um, So she did a remix of it. Yeah. To do a duet with her father. And, uh, wow, is there a
0: date attached to that
1: release? Do you know when that was made?
0: Uh, Let me see if I wrote it down. Yeah. 609. Twenty-one six zero nine. Oh, that's today. Okay, so it, it just, geez, did it just go up? See, it might be somebody just put it up from someplace else. Um, okay. The date on it is twenty-one five twenty-five. So I'm not sure. <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. So
1: it sounds like that was probably something that Lisa Marie did a few years ago.
0: Yeah, it seems she,
1: like. She's in her early fifties now. And, no, that
0: uh, that you can, you, yeah. I, I'll have the uh, the link to it, and um, you, you, you'll see her. She's young, so it's got to be back a while.
1: Yeah, and of course her her son tragically just uh, took his own life uh, late last year. Oh, I
4: didn't so, hear that.
1: Yeah, he was twenty seven years oh, old, and uh, yeah. So, well, that's um yeah and i encourage everybody to listen to the original too um i mean i you know i honor lisa marie for doing that and bringing that song forward again by by doing the remix and you can't really you know uh i mean the the original is so great you know just just the pure elvis original um to me is indelible and um I mean, this adds its own thing, you know, and it's Lisa Marie does a beautiful job um, here. And it's funny because yesterday, I spent a good part of the day yesterday listening to the recordings of the conversations that we have the rights to and we're using as um, the basis for the documentary Echoes of the King that we're working on and to hear him. You know, and he's just talking very intimately to a a trusted friend, you know, about, among other things, about Lisa Marie, um, how he misses her because, you know, their marriage broke up and how much he loves her and and how when she comes to see him. And then she has to go, you know, he'll cry when they're saying goodbye. And and Elvis says. Yeah, she always says, now, don't cry, Daddy, because when you cry, you make me cry, too. And then when I'm grown up, it's going to mess up my makeup. <laughs> so please so, don't do this, Daddy. And uh, he talks about how um, he loves to see her in the front row when she comes to see him on, on stage. And, you know, how she's singing and dancing. And you can just tell, you know, the, how he adores his daughter. Uh, it's very touching. So, yeah, and it's funny about this as I was listening to this song, not not to in the ghetto, but uh, if I can dream, and again, everybody just youtube it, Elvis, if I can dream, it's electrifying, and you know the passion with which he delivers it, and he gets to the end of the song, the beautiful climax you know um <clears throat> but there's no burst of applause because it wasn't taped live it's you know it's just The music ends, Elvis has just spilled his guts and his heart in this song. Music ends, chord ends, and he's just standing there. And he just says, thank you very much. Good night. It's beautiful. I mean, the man. (laughs) It's off the charts. But, you know, listening to the message um, that, you know, that hope will triumph over fear, that we will get through this. And uh, if we can dream, if we don't surrender our right to dream, because then we get, then we get into the quantum field, and we get into intention, and we get into working with the Shungite field, and we get into working with the Holy Grail Vortex Protocol, and with you know the the, the quantum cube logica project that that Maya's doing on it, and, and the incredible work of Dr. Carey and Dr. Tenpenny and people like you know, Dr. Christian Northrup. This is what's turning the tide and heck, you know, thank you for listening. (laughs) Don't go away. Sir Paul McCartney is not on yet. Um, Sorry. Sorry
0: about that. I I, I swear my finger is getting twitchy lately. Uh, It's okay. uh, I'm afraid afraid to touch anything. (laughs)
1: That's bringing all the legends. It's cool. Um, you know that this is this is like an anthem. I mean, along with you know disturbances, um, sound of silence. Uh, this is an anthem. If I can dream by Elvis Presley, t- to me, for um, you know th- that we can hold to our hearts and and play and share as we share this information, uh, because music is so powerful. Uh, it is you know such a powerful awakener and and unifies our hearts in song and, and hope. You know, it was phenomenal in in the 60s to, to see the, the power that music had uh, as part of the awakening that took place then. So, anyway, so what else do we want to cover here, Nancy?
0: Well, I, I'm hoping that we're going to have a, a show dedicated to Maya's book. You know, I haven't really talked to you much about it. But... Um, I'm going to get the, the 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 uh rendition that I played was with the Philharmonic uh, orchestra orchestra and I will look for that one. That was was that the Hawaii, when he was in Hawaii?
1: Which what um if I can dream?
0: When he when he did when he did the big um his comeback thing was that in Hawaii?
1: No, that the the Hawaii concert I think it was 1972 or 73 that the Aloha uh, concert um which was the first global telecasts it was followed by like nearly a billion people around more the world more
0: than more more people watched that than watched the moon landing and i was yeah. one of them i i actually did see that
1: yeah and i loved you know the story behind how that happened um there was supposed to be some special and, and and some director who was not a big Elvis fan got slotted in. And, hey, we're going to do this thing. And so he had a meeting in Vegas with Elvis to pitch his idea. And to this guy, he tells the story. He and Elvis later became good friends, but he'd never met him. And he goes to Vegas and you know he's kept waiting and he goes to the top floor of the hotel suite where elvis is performing and it's the memphis mafia he also got to get through the vegas real mafia who owned elvis's contract because the colonel sold it to them to pay for his gambling debts um and so he finally you know elvis walks in and he's wearing you know huge dark glasses and he's in a full elvis get up you know and um and he's basically just kind of testing this guy. Okay, is this you know is this guy for real or is he you know another you know butt kissing psychophant you know guy trying to capitalize on who I am? And um, and the director, there's an interview out there where he describes it, and he said, uh, "Well, Mister Presley, I I think we can do something very different and exciting in Hawaii." But I gotta tell you, you know, I, I, I went to see your show, and to put that on TV. I mean, you just kind of stand there and it would be really boring. <laughs> you know? He says, and the Memphis Mafia guys are like getting up in their chairs and getting ready to punch him in the face. And I was says, no, no, keep on talking. He says, we're going to make runways for you out into the audience. You're going to interact with the audience. We're going to have, you know, this whole surround something. And it's about you getting actually in touch with your fans, you know, um, as you're walking. And he described this whole incredible thing. And that's what you see. On the, um, on the Aloha show, and, and he and the director became really close friends because he just admired the guts of the guy, you know, that he was, he was willing to tell all of us. He also told him, and you got to lose about 30 pounds. If we're going to do this, you got to lose 30 pounds. <laughs> it takes some guts to say that to the king, right? Um, but it, there's a piece in the book, in Maya's book, where she talks about that concert, that global telecast, and how she received an inner message that the energy from that concert was being used at higher levels um, on the angelic level um, to help raise the vibration of the planet and that she, Maya, needed to, I forget the details, but it's something like needed to go to the top of the Mexican pyramid with some crystals on that day so that while elvis was performing there was this connection being made um i'm probably getting the details wrong but it's well worth it so for those who want to check out the book it's by reverend uh maya nartumid that's n as in nancy a r t like tom double o m like michael i d nartumid reverend maya and the book is called blue star love from an Amazing Heart of Grace. And it's got a, a painting of, of Elvis riding a unicorn on it. And we're making a movie. Um, it was based on, that book was based in, in large part on uh, conversations that that Elvis had with his trusted friend, uh, Wanda June Hill. And we have the, the rights to um, a, a good portion of the tapes. And the book was built on transcripts that have been absolutely verified as being Elvis's voice um, of the recordings, and it's exploring his miraculous experiences as a boy, his memory of his past lives, his yearning for God, and and so much more. It is a fantastic testimony, and it's also integrated with Maya's own deep knowledge and her. High sacred science um, downloads over the last, you know, four or five decades in terms of the esoteric knowledge. This is what connected Wanda and Maya. And this is worth recounting briefly here, which is Maya went to 37 Elvis concerts between 1969 and uh, 76. And uh, her mother at that time would drop a couple of hundred bucks to the maitre d' to get Maya up to the front row. And she was able to hand Elvis her, her spiritual material. And they developed this psychic bond at the foot of the stage over this whole period such that he, she would be looking at him and she would receive a message. Don't give it to me now. Wait. Because Colonel Parker's men were under instructions to take spiritual material away from Elvis because they were afraid he was going to go be a minister and and take away their meal ticket, right? So she'd get a message from him, wait, after the next song. And then he'd look at her, song would be over, and he'd come down to the foot of the stage and and receive whatever, you know, book or, or special spiritual Um, items she wanted to give him and she one time she she mentions this in the book she as she was receiving this from him she mentally asked him as he's bending down she mentally just said is this real are we really communicating this way and she looked in his face and he winked and nodded (laughs) right and of course maya also likes to recount that um she got her first kiss from Elvis Presley, um, there at the foot of the stage. And he gave her, um, a scarf, uh, in that moment, uh, which of course she retains to this day and, uh, which she, um, showed me the scarf and she said up until just a few years ago, you could still smell Elvis's cologne on the scarf. Um, anyway, so it's a beautiful book and I encourage everybody, um, you know, just, um, go to Amazon um, and be looking for the movie Echoes of the King it's uh, it's being uh, pitched to the major broadcasters as we speak this very week so um, it's going to be an amazing um, testimony to the soul of the amazing eldest Aaron Presley
0: well one of the things that he, he said was that he had been born too early and yeah. you know in his lifetime, perhaps, that he might might have been accurate as to what he was reading. But honestly, uh, I think that he was born in order to advance a whole generations, and generations, it was a plural, of people to be able to, at this point in time, Actually, hear his message and feel it in ways that we couldn't have then. But he helped nurture the. I mean, she even got into to discussing the movements that he would make that move our chakras, and nobody would move, nobody would dance. The hips moving? Oh my God! Don't let that happen until Elvis broke that whole spell that they had over people. Right. So I think you know that that his time is coming again, and I can only. See good things happening with that with that message that you guys are putting together.
1: Yeah, it's it's so true, Nancy. You know the um when you look at the idea of him being born too soon. I mean, he felt that simply because it was so hard the the struggle of being the pioneer. Uh, you know the hardship and the persecution of it. I would say, hey, he had a great life, and he you know he didn't complain. He said, I. You know, I've had just the most amazing life anybody could have. But he said, I'm burning up inside. You know, I'm I'm not from here. Um, you know, I know where I'm from. The blue star, Rigel, the constellation Orion. He said that to Maya, we have it on tape. And independently of that, without knowing it, he said that to Wanda. I'm sorry, he said it to Wanda, we have it on tape. And independently of that, Maya clairvoyantly received that Elvis was from the blue star, Rigel. And he just felt like, you know, I'm, people like me, we don't last long. He said, you know, I'm burning up. I'm, I'm not going to be here very long on this planet. And okay, it felt like to him he came too soon. But like you say, you know, 1955, Memphis, Tennessee, you know, the, the impact of, of that young man fusing black and white culture. And, uh, you know, w- what would rock and roll have been? Would it have just been a little minor subgenre of African American music? Would it have busted out well Sam Phillips at Sun Records, he had a mission. He knew, he said, if I could only find some white singer who had black soul and could could sing this, he said, you know, this this would blow the top off the the, the entire music world. And in comes Elvis. And, you know, if I can dream as a song of tribute to, to Dr. King that came from Elvis's heart because he grew up so poor in Tupelo Mississippi you know they were on the side of the tracks with the poorest black families he grew up playing with black toddlers being nursed by, by black mothers when when his mother was working the fields they were really poor folks and so you know he he grew up largely without the, the race prejudice that you'd expect somebody growing up in the deep South, Tupelo, uh, in the 1930s, you know, and 40s would be. And so that's, that is another beautiful piece of videotape where, uh, one of his singers, one of his backup singers, African American, um, there were, I think, three or four that were always with him, uh, is talking about how they'd be in rehearsal and, and she'd say, uh okay, boss, what do you want us to do with this one? And he'd say, Don't call me boss. And I said, well, hey, well, you're the king. I say, hey, No, there's only one king. That's Jesus. Said, so, you know, okay, well, you know, what do I call you? I said, Come on. I'm your brother. Just call me brother. So anyway, um, that's you know, that's where where that came from. And if you look at because he was the pioneer, because he had the guts to just unapologetically be who he was, loosen up that second chakra down there at the belly, you yeah. know, for uh, all of us, led to the Beatles, led to, you know, the 60s, the, the blending of black and white culture, the awakening of the civil rights movement, it was all going on at the same time, and Elvis's impact you know, is almost incalculable. You know, he's become this this stick figure for a lot of people it's like, oh, yeah, you know, it's um, jailhouse rock. And then he died on a toilet. No, he was probably among the top five most influential human beings, certainly of the 20th century and possibly of all time. So anyway, that's my two cents on, on Elvis. And I love the idea. Yeah, Nancy, let's um, let's get Reverend Maya uh, back here on the program. And. uh and, and go into this because to me, it does tie into what we're talking about here in, in terms of, you know, the faith, the hope, the courage that, that we all need to have, um, to be able to face what's going on, to be able to face what is the, uh, being imposed on us, the, the attempt to impose all this on us. And we need to remember that the corrupt Elite screws up all the time. This is not some monolithic all powerful never failing you know dark plan that succeeds they They screw up all the time they're screwing up now, big time. they rushed this, they rushed five g they knew we were waking up they're done, you know, but they're only done because we're going to have the faith and the hope and the courage that Dr. Kerry and Dr. Penny are talking about and that that Elvis expressed. So beautifully in this song.
0: Such a pro- I'm having such a problem with this mute. I'm sorry. Apologize. Um, okay, you, you. Go ahead. One of the th- well, I, I, one of the things that I started doing a while back was to reach out to the ancestors. Um, I realized that we had an incredible battle, even with all the things we had going. And so I concertedly reached out to the ancestors, um, the Vedrus in particular from Russia, the ancient ones, um, and everybody that has fought this battle and died before the ending. You know, all of them. You know, they're all there. What I believe is that when somebody passes over to the other side, they go on about doing what they're doing but if somebody yep. calls them back by thinking about them they come back and they reanimate the let's say the, the spiritual essence of the body that was once 3D they reanimate it and, they, and re-engage at that level it's not like they stay there and wait for us to think about them <laughs> that's, not, that's not what it is but they're able to sort of engage that program and interact again So, and and having, you know, had the experience of seeing Dave Corso, who, Dave was a super soldier who owned Wolf Spirit Radio, and that's how I got started in this, and I never met him, but boy, I'll tell you, when he died, there was a real awesome response by all sorts of people all over the world, because he had been so influential, and he he didn't He didn't exactly go do something else at one point um and he and he talks to Dolly Howard, it's Dolly that you know brings the messaging through, but one time I said to him, "Dave, what were you supposed to be What, what, what were you supposed to be doing instead of staying here ha, talking to Dolly and me and he said, "Well, when you get to where I was, you make a decision of to as to what you want to do next He said, "I decided not to decide at that time, huh." You know, and so he's been... Now, there was a period where he got very, very uh, distracted, and he wasn't... Because he'd pop in. If something interesting was happening, it was almost like he was always monitoring, and he'd pop in. Yeah. Um, but, and I mean, he he would... He, in, in some cases, he would be simultaneously with Dolly and with me. And I'd know that because Dolly, I mean, she... She talks to him quite on a regular basis, and they've actually got a show that they do dolly chairs um oh, It's really an interesting show um but um you know i mean I've had him actually hit me in the back of the head you know because i'll uh-huh. I'll say something that you know and, and uh, I tease him and he teases me and and you know and more than once, he hit me in the back of the head to the point that when I realized he was about to, I'd, I'd say, Please don't do that, and I'd duck. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but having uh, the experience of Dave, I know how real the ancestors are. They're just a thought yeah. away. And yeah. so, if, and obviously, if if I knew about him forever and ever and am only now being like, whoa, you know, woke up to him. Then it's a it's a process we're going through of, you know, bringing in the essence of, of Elvis again. And I know that. Well, I, I've told this story about my friend. She was she was a fanatic. Uh, she probably went more times than uh, most people would even think possible to Graceland. I don't know how many uh. concerts she went to. Um, but she had his pictures and all sorts of memorabilia all over the place. An extreme fan. And yet she was a very kind of like um rough exterior sort of businesswoman, too. And a single mom, you know, I mean so so she she had a lot of three D things that were kind of rough. And I couldn't understand why she was so infatuated with this rock and roll singer, you know. Well, yeah. now, seeing what I'm seeing in the book and what I saw as she was getting close to death, um, she opened up and, and I realized she was more, much more psychic than I ever imagined. And, uh-huh. you know, so when she passed, well, she was in hospice at home with her family there. Um, and it was interesting because we used to always have full moon parties. And it was a full moon that was that night. And I told her daughter, I th- and I think it was, I'm not sure, it was something else to do with, with a date. But I said to, to her daughter, I said, uh, watch your mom tonight. I said, it's a full moon. And so I'm sitting in the house, and... I went outside and I really did a, a, you know, a touch to Mary, and because I was looking at the full moon and you know all that sort of thing, and I come back in and all of a sudden Mary was standing in front of me, and but she looked very confused, and I said, "Mary, uh, are you dead yet?" <laughs> I didn't know how else to, to to put it, you know, and she You're was. Blunt. I'm very blunt, you. you know. I'm not, I'm not going to pull my punches. And she was, she was really. She seemed confused and couldn't answer me. I said, "You're still attached to your body." I said, "You've got to let go." I said, "Just, just, just relax and let go." And um, she just, you know, they just sort of dis- dissipate. They just, gone. And um, it took about fifteen minutes, but she showed up again. And when she showed up this time, she was absolutely stunningly beautiful. Back in the same age when I met her happy as can be, and she was, had Elvis' arm around her, and she was leaning into him. Oh, wow. You know, and it, and he was in the white, I, when I think of him, I think of him in the black jumpsuit type of thing, um, uh-huh. younger version, but then he was in the white, he was young, but he was in the white, you know, angel thing, I always called it. Yeah. Um and I'd never seen a picture of him. I'd never seen him that young being in that particular jumpsuit. Um, but, you know, so, so to me, Elvis is not very far away because, you know, he showed up in this house with Mary. And um, so that's actually why I bought the book, was to give uh, it oh. to her daughter. Because I, if, if now I'm beginning to have a deeper appreciation for the connection that Mary made so early... She must have seen all this, and didn't know how to yeah. tell anybody, because you'd ask her about Elvis, and she would go into a certain place that was like a private place. Like uh-huh. I don't know, I don't open up that side to me, and she'll say, "Yes, I just, I just really love him," but she would never. Why? Why? I don't know. Why, nobody probably asked her why, because <laughs> we all thought she was a little yeah. crazy. You know, I mean, she's like my age, you know um so if 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 we just reach out to the ancestors we don't have to have a personal connection to them but call out to them wake them up and say look at we we need more help here you've watched yeah. so long because it's not like they wouldn't be paying attention maybe they are paying attention but in the scheme of the universe very often you have to have an invitation
1: Right, free will. You know, you know
0: so I'm. I, from my standpoint as a representative of the human race, <laughs> I'm asking, begging you guys, come back, help us.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I, I there's one little story I got to tell here about Elvis, which is talking about calling on the ancestors and about, um, wh- what was this fellow's name again? Who has the contact with Dolly? From mm-hmm. radio. Oh, uh,
0: uh, yeah, yeah, um, Dave Corso.
1: Dave Carson. So, um, so you and I did a Radio 5G show a few weeks ago, and we are talking about Elvis and the Templars, right? And at one point in that show, I'm, I'm sharing on you know, some of the background and the mystical ring that Elvis had and all that, and you said to me, well, wait a second. What evidence do we have that Elvis himself actually thought of himself as a Templar. We that word, right? Um, and so I imme- what immediately came to mind, um, in response to your question, I started to tell a story about how I have it on very good authority that Elvis at one point said, we are Templars, right? And I started to tell that story and as I did, I realized I was going to have to sort of tiptoe around confidentiality regarding a certain person that could open a whole can of worms. And we were on the air, you know, it was live. And um, so, you know, when I'm in the flow of it, and I'm like, hey, I'm just going to trust, you know, the gift of the Gab and the Blarney and the Irish and I'll just be able to uh okay. Uh, how can I keep this person's confidence? Well, it was going to blow the lid off a couple of things, but I'm cocky sometimes. I go, yeah, I can do this. And so you ask this question, I'm like a sentence or two into my response, and I get you talk about getting hit in the back of the head by Dave Corzo. I get a hand on my shoulder, landing so heavy, really tangible. As I'm starting to tell this, just going, whoa, kid. Stop right there! Do not go there. Do not share that story. <laughs> you know, it was like Elvis going, "You're gonna. Uh, we've got a plan in place, and you're about to blow something. Shut up!" You know I mean, and and so if you listen, if you go back and listen to that show, I, I remember
0: sharing. that. I remember that.
1: Yeah, I go. So, so
0: it was. Yeah, it was like when you when you. You started into it, and then you suddenly hesitated. And you went, I'm getting an indication that I shouldn't go there. And it was like, I'm going like, what the hell happened to him just now? What was that about? Because I don't see you do that. So that is very interesting. I'm so glad I heard the end of that story.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and, and, you know, I, I mean, I try to reach out to him trying to go you know like hey buddy you know we're trying to tell your story here any help you can give any guidance you know at least you know help me not to screw up because i'm producing this thing you know i mean maya and i are co-executive producers but essentially i'm the, the point guy for this so <laughs> it's like okay you asked for it here's a hand on your shoulder um don't do that <laughs> don't just shut up kid right now okay so yeah that was very tangible and i um you know, I put up that up there with, like, the undeniable, tangible 3D hand landed on my shoulder. And I had to, like, sort of reach back and, and touch the hand and go, okay, message received. And somehow try to like, spin in mid-sentence here on Radio 5G to go, hmm, you know, this just in. Michael's supposed to shut up <laughs> you know, right now. That's Whatever That's it what it
0: sounded like. That is exactly <laughs> what it sounded like. Awesome story, awesome story. So, yeah. so you still haven't get, got the permission to tell us, but it's a story upcoming. Stay yeah, tuned. Yeah, I mean,
1: uh, yeah, it, that that story is um, you know don't I, get into I, it. I, no, don't worry. What I ended up saying uh, that day, which is on the air, so I'm not revealing anything new. What I ended up saying that day was that um, in admonishing someone close to him. Uh, about something they were doing that they shouldn't be doing Elvis said hey we don't do that sweetie we're Templars so that was the quote and it was the context of the quote and who he said it to and how and why that I was supposed to keep a private which I have and will continue to do until I get further word from um Mr. Presley so <laughs> anyway and there were so many credible stories out there of people um receiving visits from Elvis, Elvis showing up, you know, there's there's a, a book called uh, Elvis After Life. Um, and it's, yeah, there's, you know, it, it there's a lot of amazing phenomena around this soul. And um, we're going to be sharing it with you. Um, and, in coming, and, you know, we're, we're looking at this in summer of twenty two.
0: Yeah, it, it is. I really want people to think of terms of, You know, the people that have passed on, that you you knew, you loved. You know, even if they disagreed with you, you know you're right. They know now that you're right. You know, give them a chance to amend their (laughs) delusions of who and what we are. Come back and help us. Come back and help us. Yeah. yeah, Think of all those personalities. And a lot of them are our own personalities. We've lived many, many lives. You know it's time for every one of them to come back and help us,,
1: yeah, so we can get in touch with things we knew or skills we had that we'd forgotten, and then the you know the the Native Americans, there are tribes that have that ghost dance tradition right, of uh, actual ceremony of bringing in the ancestors. I don't know the de- the details or which tribes have it or, uh, but it's very very tangible and real.
0: Well, I don't think we have to dance; all we have to do is ask. <laughs> but dancing is great. Dancing is great. Elvis showed right. us that. It frees our yeah. it frees our energy bodies to take on a um, vibration that allows us to you know extend our memory because you know we had a conversation last night about how in our so our cells are where our memory our consciousness are actually um, are actually housed and that that goes from Penrose. Uh, Sir Roger Penrose and Hameroff, who put together an idea about where is consciousness. And if you ever want to hear a really amazing story, it's, you know, just put in cosmic, quantum, quantum consciousness, Penrose, and you'll get it, or Penrose and Hameroff. And they said that it would, that the consciousness was kept in our cells. And Walt has been saying this for a very long time. So we have yeah. access in our own cells to more information than can even be imagined, and the only way you can get to that, well, not it, it, with without being a, a balanced, vibrating energy body, you're not going to get there. So dance. I mean, I right. don't. None of us dance enough. And we're down yeah, to twi- two minutes. <laughs> Do we got okay, to- here we go.
1: One quick thing. So the origin of Elvis's dance, his hips, his move, the gyrating, where that came from in his early performances, that the life force in him was so lit up that in just in keeping rhythm, he, he talks about it. He says, well, you know, my, my, my left leg would just start to shake like that. It would start to shake because I had so much energy coming out of me. And then it would, you know, it would come up to my hips. And when I did that, the girls would scream. <laughs> so I did it some more. So I did it some more. The girls liked it, but I couldn't even stop it. It was, you know, it wasn't like some deliberate "candy, oh, I'm going to be sexy move. It was just a life force pouring out of that man. And then, you know, the girls go, whoa. It's like, oh, okay, we'll, we'll give them some more of what they like.
0: And, and apparently it would still be doing that even after he got off the stage for a while.
1: Yeah, yeah. He was just pouring life force out onto the planet to help us all. So, um, all right. Well, this has been a great show. We thank Doctor Tenpenny and and Doctor Carey, um, uh, who did that taping. And what was the the platform they were on?
0: Uh, BitChute. The I'll, right. have the I'll have the links down below in or in the show notes.
1: Yeah, and I I followed up on their advice and went and registered on disseminate dot tv. That's d i s s e m uh, i n a t e dot tv. Disseminate dot tv, which is where they are got a platform that can't be taken down so you might want to check that out can
0: you put that link in in the Skype and I'll get it up in chat
1: ok I'm putting it in there right this second and, and so
0: say goodbye for,
1: See, here on uh, Radio 5G is a joint project of the Sacred Academy of Global Energetics and Cosmic Reality Radio and we thank all of you for being with us and we will see you next time God bless us everyone
0: thank you for listening May it be. Let
4: it